Well, this time the kids can meet. The rest of you will open your Bibles with me to the book of Romans. Uh, We're going to be in Romans chapter 15 this morning. Romans chapter 15. If you don't have a pew, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible close to you that I would encourage you to follow along with this morning. Um, In the pew Bible, this is on page 949. And um, if you don't have a Bible and you would read the Bible, feel free to take one from the pew this morning. Uh, We would love for you to be in the Word of God and be our gift to you. Well, as we begin this morning, uh, we're going to think about this idea of coaching a little bit. The idea of coaching, as you think about coaches, um, and I'll ask for your response a little bit, who are some people that have been known to be very good coaches, outstanding coaches for us? Doesn't matter, college, pro, baseball, football, basketball, good coaches. I didn't hear that? Okay, yeah, Tony Dungy, great Colts. Belichick, all right. Okay, Brian. <laughs> we knew that was coming, all right? A divided house, all right? Brian is uh, cheering on his Patriots. Who else? Vince Lombardi, classic. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even going to repeat it, all right? <laughs> he, he, actually, I will. He said Bob Knight. And, uh, but we'll also recognize Gene Cady <clears throat> was also a great coach. Okay. All right. So yeah, John Wooden. All right. So we see recognize there are things that mark great coaches. And some of the things that make great mark great coaches is the number of wins that they have, certainly championships, things that they have achieved mark great coaches. But we also recognize one of the things that mark great coaches oftentimes is just great men. People who are able to pull out of players a significant amount of talent and ability to put together a team, design plays, just as a whole, oftentimes these really great coaches, uh, many of them are just a full package. I mean, just really good people that are seeking to train up others. Not every good coach is a, a good person. We recognize that some of them aren't, you would not probably want your son playing for them, but, but we realize this coaching idea is important. And this morning, we're going to be talking this morning about discipleship. And as we t- think about discipleship, one of the ideas I want us to consider is discipleship is very similar to coaching. And, and we're going to walk through that a little bit this morning to help us understand that. But in our context, the last, couple, last week we began walking through this three-week series that we're doing on discipleship. We spent some time talking about evangelism. Uh, we defined evangelism this way, that evangelism is teaching the gospel with an aim to persuade others to know, love, and live for Jesus. And this is under the umbrella of Matthew 28, what is what we call the Great Commission. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And so under that umbrella of the great commission of going and making disciples is the idea of evangelism. Because as we shared last week, there's baptism taking place. And we baptize those who have confessed faith in Jesus. They believe the gospel and they're baptized in response to that. But within last week, we defined a discipleship. While evangelism is helping unbelievers come to know Christ, discipleship is helping other believers 
Okay, so those who've come to know Christ, in many ways our goal is the same. We want them to know, love, and live for Jesus. But for disciples, we want that to grow more and more and more. The big idea of discipleship is helping others to grow to know, love, and live for Jesus more and more. So that is our, those are some definitions that are helping to shape where we're going with our message and with our series. And as we understand this idea of discipleship helping other believers, one of the things that we would see is that God calls all believers, God calls all believers to be faithful. It was, we celebrated the Lord's Supper. In many ways, we could say this this morning, if you partook of the Lord's Supper, you're declaring that you are a faithful believer that you know Christ, that you love Him, and that you're living for Him. That you're dealing with known sin, that you are seeking to please Him in your area, different areas of life. And so this morning, as you, as you celebrate the Lord's Supper, you're declaring, I am seeking to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And, and we rejoice in that. We rejoice in that. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the responsibility that faithful believers have. Turn with me a few pages past Romans 15. Keep your place there. We'll come back to our passage. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want us to see this in verse 2. And this ties to some of, many of the things we've been talking about over these past couple months, actually. In chapter 4, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians, this is on page 953, it says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found, what's the word? Faithful. Okay, a steward is somebody who, someone who has been entrusted with resources. Somebody who has been entrusted with resources. And we looked several weeks ago about this great this, uh, master who was going on a long journey. And he had all kinds of resources. And he entrusted different amounts to different individuals. One guy, he gave five talents, a certain amount of his possessions. Another guy, he gave two, and another, he gave one. And he went away, and he was gone for a long time, and then he came back. And each one of those stewards, okay, each one had been given a treasure, a trust. Their stewards, their faithfulness was measured. And so the guy that had five, he had doubled his, had ten. And the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. The guy that had two had doubled his. He was faithful with what he had been entrusted with. And the master says to him, well done, my good and faithful servant. To the third one, that guy took, and rather than doubling or doing anything with that, his, what he had been given, he buried it. And he gave it back to his master, having earned nothing. He didn't do anything with what he had been given. He wasn't faithful. And the master says to him, depart from me, you wicked and lazy servant. See, our passage here in chapter 4, verse 2 says, those who are stewards, if you have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, if you partake in the Lord's Supper, saying, I'm a faithful believer, that you have a responsibility to be living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be giving, making a return on the investment that he has made in you. And so, back to Romans chapter 15, our key verse this morning is going to anchor us to what we're going to study, is Romans chapter 15, verse 14. And Paul is writing here to the whole Roman church. He's writing to all the believers there because he says in verse 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers. 
So he's, he's happy with them. He's encouraged with them. He is looking at them and he is confident in them. And he says that he calls them my brothers. Okay, so his brothers and sisters, all those who are believers, all the people he's writing to, he's confident, confident or satisfied what? That you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So he talks about these three big things. They're full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able to instruct others. Those are characteristics of a faithful believer. Characteristics that, if you you are trusting Christ, I'm confident are true of you as well. And so let's look at this verse a little bit. The first thing he says that is that he is confident that they are full of goodness. Well, before we go there, I want to. This is a picture that we have described about making disciples. As we seek to help others and what, seeking to be faithful believers, we want to move people from this kingdom of darkness through evangelism and rec, um, evangelizing, rescuing people from the wrath of God, rescuing people from their guilt and shame. And we, res, we do that by proclaiming God's word in prayerful dependence on the Spirit of God to accomplish the purposes of God. And so that as we are seeking to be faithful believers, we want to see people rescued from the kingdom of darkness and then brought into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the sun. But, but our relationship with Jesus doesn't end when we get to know him, that we continue to be renewed, renewed in our minds, renewed in our spirit. And so the rescue side, that's evangelism. Renew side, that's discipleship. And in our context here, that Paul is confident that us as believers are able to help people make progress in this, uh, along this way, from rescue to renew. Well, discipleship is a ministry for every believer. If you are a believer, you are called to be faithful. If you are a faithful believer, you are called to this ministry of disciple-making of helping other believers make biblical change towards Christ-likeness, helping them to grow and change, to love, know, to know, love, and live for Jesus more and more. And what we see in our passage is that faithful believers are full of goodness. Are full of goodness. And think, well, what's it mean to be full of goodness? The idea of goodness is this, that I'm eager to do what's right, eager to meet the needs of others. This goodness is this bent Towards, towards, I want to see others flourish. I want to see them do well. We see this clearly as parents. I mean, think about parents. What do they want for their kids? Any parent that's halfway decent want their kids to do well. And so they're full of goodness towards their kids. They go to the grocery and they buy the food. They cook the food. They, they clean up after the kids. They, they change their bedding. They wash their clothes, drive in the practices, drive them home from practices. All these things that, as we see a parent having a bent towards kids, that there's this idea of goodness, right? This idea of goodness is also reflected in, in the gospel, that we are seeking to be alert to the needs of others. Now, many of you know people that are just... Just, I mean, they just excel at this. I mean, there's certain people that you look at and you know, they just always seem to be wanting to help others. Give somebody a ride to uh, asking them how they're doing, to be praying for them, just pausing, taking time for other people. That's this idea of goodness. And our passage says, Paul is saying, I am confident, I am satisfied with you brothers that you are full of goodness. Good question to be asking ourselves this morning is, 
Am I full of goodness? Am I genuinely full of goodness? Is the Spirit of God working in me in such a way that there is this fruit of goodness being manifested? Because as we would look back in the book of Galatians chapter 5, we would read about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Okay? This idea of goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. And so if my roots are in the gospel, if I believe in the gospel, trusting Jesus as my Savior, seeking to be faithful, my roots are sunk into that, one of the fruits that are going to be manifested is a fruit of goodness. Because that reflects the character of Jesus, this bent towards others. And so I would ask this morning, are you full of goodness? Maybe I'd ask it a different way. How are you demonstrating that you are full of goodness? And maybe think over the past two or three weeks, how have you demonstrated a bent towards encouraging others, helping others, wanting to seek others to see others do well? How, how has that been manifested in your life? It's a fruit of the Spirit. Is that fruit being manifested in your life? Well, he not only says that he is satisfied that we are full of goodness, he also says in verse 14 that we are filled with all knowledge. Okay, filled with all knowledge. Now, keep your place here and turn back to the book of, of 2 Peter. 2 Peter, the passage we're going to look at is in chapter 1. This is on page 1018 in, your, uh, in the Pew Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter introduces his book. He reminds us of who he is. He's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's writing to other believers. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And the idea is we're filled with knowledge. How are we filled with knowledge? What's that look like? Verse 3 begins by saying this. His divine power, this is the power of God, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Okay? That verse is teaching us that the word of God is sufficient to help us with our everyday problems. He's given us everything we need to know to, to live godly lives. And then verse 4, by which, through these promises, he had granted to us very great and precious promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, how do we escape the corruption in the world? How do we partake of the divine nature? Is that we trust Jesus. We're born again into this living hope that he does this work for us. Now, because he does that, verse 4 or verse 5 now says, For this very reason, what reason? because you've been made new, because you have these promises from God, because you've escaped from the corruption of the world, you're a partaker of the divine nature, because of all this, make every effort, okay, there's work involved here, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, so you have faith, add to that virtue, and then he says, and virtue with knowledge, Okay, this idea of knowledge is something that we are to be growing in. If you're a faithful follower of Jesus, you're called to be growing in knowledge. Turn with me to the same book in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 
chapter 3, verse 18. Okay, 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in what? The grace and knowledge. Okay, so we're to be growing in knowledge. Now, let's think about this. We're stewards. God's given us this trust. He's given us the gospel. We're called to be faithful, filled with goodness, filled with knowledge. Okay, now, this idea of stewardship and filled with this, how well are we doing? I mean, think about, let's suppose, um, this idea of a steward, okay? Let's suppose you have a friend, and they're going out of town, and they want you to watch their dog. Say, hey, uh, could you watch my dog while we're out of town? Okay, what would you do if you are going to be a good steward of that responsibility? You're probably going to go over to their house. What are you going to do? You're going to let the dog out, right? Let the dog out, because the dog's going to have to do its business, right? Let the dog out, and then not only let it out, what else are you going to need to do? Let it back in, right, so that when they come home, they still have a dog. You're going to feed that dog. You're going to water that dog. And we understand that being a good steward of the responsibility of taking care of that dog means letting the dog out, letting the dog in, feeding the dog, watering the dog, making sure it gets exercise. I'm going to be a good steward. Your owner, the owner comes home, and you've been a good steward. Their dog is laying in its beanbag chair. It's content. It's happy. The bowl of water still has water in it. The bowl of food still has food in it. The dog's glad to see you. It didn't run away. You've been a good steward. And your, Nate, your friend says, thank you. Right? Well done. God's given us his spirit. God's given us his word. God's given us some responsibilities. The challenge for us is, am I being faithful? Am I being faithful in this realm of goodness? Am I being faithful to add knowledge to the gifts God's given to me? Am I working to add to that so when Jesus comes back, he can say, well done? When we think about this idea of knowledge, the knowledge that God wants us to have isn't just this random knowledge. It's not random knowledge so that I can win like it on Jeopardy or Bible trivia. Okay, it's not this random knowledge alone that God wants us to have. We need to know lots of facts in the Bible. There's lots of information to, for us to know about who was the first king of Israel, who was, um, who was the man after God's own heart, what are some cities that Paul visited. That's good information and things that are helpful for us to know. But I want to encourage you, if we're going to be faithful believers that I believe there are three areas of knowledge that we need to be equipped in. And the three areas of knowledge are able to help us with three kinds of people, right? So every believer, I believe, every believer should be equipped to help three kinds of people. The three kinds of people are the sinner, the saint, and the sufferer. Okay, three kinds of people, every one of you need to be able to be equipped to help. And so for the sinner... What, do we, what knowledge do we need should we be equipped with to help the sinner? It's the gospel. That those who don't know Jesus as their Savior, we need to help them to know the Son of God. And how do we help them to know the Son of God? We talk to them about the gospel. A very simple way of so question for you, filled with knowledge, do you have the knowledge to talk someone through the gospel of Jesus Christ? In a full and robust way. Do you have, what if I said to you now, hey, I'd like for you to turn to your neighbor and share the gospel with them in two minutes. How many of you, say, how many of you are ready to say, 
Let's go, Pastor. I got it. I'm ready to go. How many of you are saying, please don't? Okay, see, here's a challenge. Okay, I'm not laughing because I want you to be equipped, right? So what is an easy way to do that? One of the things we would do that, we have these gospel cards that we have floating around here. Okay, On the back of these is an outline that we've talked about numerous times. What's our outline? Six questions to be able to acknowledge, to walk somebody through the gospel in two minutes, two days, or you could take two years to do it. First question is, who is God? God is our creator and king. He's made us. He rules all things. Who are we? We are creatures. God made us, and therefore he owns us. We are creatures, but we have all gone astray. Each of us has gone gone our own way. So we are creatures, and we are rebels. Who is God? Creator and king. Who are we? Creatures and rebels. What should God do to us? He's the king. We are rebels in his kingdom. What does the scripture say? For the wages of sin is death. What should God do to us? God should kill us, death, and hell, that we would be vanished, uh, kicked out of his kingdom in hell. That's what God should do to us. God is our creator and king. We're creatures and rebels. What do we deserve? Death and hell. What has God done for us instead? He has sent Jesus to be our substitute. Who's Jesus? The eternal Son of God who took on flesh. What did He do? He took our sins upon Himself after living a sinless life. He died on the cross. After three days, He rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. Jesus did that to take our place. He is, Jesus is our substitute. So, who is God? Creator and King. Who are we? Creatures and rebels. What should God do to us? Death and hell. What has he done instead? He's given us Jesus as a substitute. How must we respond? How do we respond? We repent and believe. We turn from living life on our terms, and we turn, and we're going to trust Jesus, and we're going to follow him. We turn and trust. We repent and believe. Sixth question, what difference does it make? New life. When, now, and forever. Okay, that's the gospel. And I would encourage you, are you able to articulate that in a brief, summary fashion? Or if you're sitting down with somebody over lunch, could you take two hours and to talk through that? And I would encourage you, if you don't know that outline, or if you don't know something good, similar, similar to that, the Romans wrote or something else, you need to get it. This foundational knowledge. And I would argue, if you don't know that, you're not being a good steward. Unless you've only been a believer a week or two. Beyond that, we're all responsible to be good stewards, to be faithful in this knowledge. So, we should have knowledge to be able to help the sinner know the Son of God. We also need to have the knowledge to help saints know the Word of God. Saints, those who've repented and believed the gospel, to have a fundamental knowledge of the Word of God, to help somebody to get a big picture of what this looks like. Some Bible basics. The big flow of the Bible. There are two books, two uh, testaments, an Old Testament and New Testament. There are 66 books. They're all pointing us to one, in one direction, to one person. That whole Bible's pointing us to this one person of Jesus. 
to be able to help people to understand the flow of Scripture, that God created everything good, but then sin has broken everything and everything's messed up. God sends Jesus to redeem and to fix everything that's broken. And ultimately then, God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth where He's going to dwell with His people forever with great joy. That we need to be able to help believers to know that. And again, just committing ourselves to study. It's what it means to be a good steward. To be a good steward of the knowledge that we're filled with this knowledge. So we're filled with knowledge to help the sinner to know the Son of God. That we are, we are able to help saints, believers, to know the Word of God. But the third group of people are sufferers. Those who are hurting. Those who are needing direction. And that what we're seeking to do with sufferers is to help them to know the hope of God. So we want unbelievers to know the Son of God, believers to know the Word of God, and sufferers to know the hope of God. And what does that look like? One of the things you've seen and we've talked about on a number of occasions is this Y diagram. What does the Y diagram demonstrate to us? That there are two choices about how we're going to respond to life. One is doing it my way. And when I live life my way, how's life get? Gets harder, right? And yet another way of life is going God's way. And God's way, when I follow God's way, life gets brighter. But that all hinges on one question is, who am I going to love? Because if I'm loving me, I'm always going to go my way. But if my love has been captured by the grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel, now I'm going to love him and I'm going to walk even when I don't understand it, even when I'm suffering and it's hard and it doesn't make sense, I'm going to take steps of faith trusting that God has me on a path to a brighter day. Life's still difficult, but it can be brighter. So these three groups of people, we as believers need to have knowledge if we're good steward to help sinners understand the Word of God, to help, uh, help sinners understand the Son of God, to help saints understand the Word of God, and sufferers to know the hope of God. And I'd ask the question of you this morning, are you being a good steward with this knowledge? Are you acquiring it? Are you growing in that? Now, back to Romans fifteen fourteen. I myself am satisfied with you, my brothers, my fellow believers. I believe you're full of goodness and you have this knowledge, that you're filled with all knowledge. And because of that, it says that you are able to instruct one another. That you're able to instruct one another. Another way of saying this is that faithful believers are full of goodness, faithful believers are filled with knowledge, and faithful believers are competent, and the word I'm going to use here is counsel. Competent to counsel. Here in the ESV it says we're, count, we're competent to instruct. Now the reason why your different Bible versions, this idea of instruct, counsel, teach, it has different meanings in the English. But it's one Greek word, and it's the Greek word nutheteo. Okay, it's where we translate English nuthetic. And it's translated in our Bible three ways. In this passage, it talks about, I'm able to instruct. If we would look at Colossians 1.28, that word is translated warning. Okay, so it's instruct, warning. And if we looked in Acts chapter 20, verse 31, it's admonish. 
So the same Greek word is translated three different ways in our English to instruct, warn, and admonish. And say, well, what's this passage saying then? If we are competent, we're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to nutheteo, warn, admonish, instruct one another, what's that mean? Well, this is back to our idea of coaching. What does a coach do? Well, a coach teaches. Right? A coach te- instructs. It teaches, teaches his athletes um, how to run plays, how to do the basics. A coach teaches. A coach also warns. He says, listen, guys, if we're not going to do this plays right, this isn't going to go well. Listen, guys, if we're not ready for this game to start, we're good, this is not, so there's a warning that comes. So a good coach instructs, a good coach warns, but a good coach also admonishes. And admonishes means the player's out on the floor and he's not run the play right. Okay, and he continues to do that. What does a, what's the coach do? Pulls him off the floor and has a conversation and is able to say, hey, okay, we've got to do this right. When they're over here and there's this level of correction and being able to say, okay, you got it? Okay, we need to get you back on track. Now get back in the game. And so this idea of nutheteo is to, that I warn, I instruct, and I admonish. That's what God's calling us to do. That's what God is calling us to do with other believers, to coach them, to love them enough to be able to, to teach them, to love them enough to warn them, and love them enough to admonish them when they're not on the right track. That's what it looks like to be discipling one another. And we do it because we're full of goodness, and we do it because we're filled with knowledge. And you may be saying, I mean, I get that pastors should do that. I mean, I get that Sunday school should, teachers should do that. But, but you're saying every believer should be able to do that. I am. Because that's what this passage says. And let me use an example. Here's what, here's what you'd say. Well, where do I start? Um, this idea of coaching. Whenever Caleb was five years old, okay, um, we'd sign him up for soccer. Five years old, sign him up for soccer. The lady that's running the program calls us. She's a friend of ours. And she says, hey, Steve, what would you think about coaching Caleb's soccer team? And I know nothing about soccer. I mean, I knew absolutely nothing. And I said, Kim, I know nothing about soccer. Her response was, Steve, they're five. <laughs> what is she saying? You don't need to know much. Right? You don't need to know much. And there's this 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 weekend thing we'll, we'll have you go to on a Saturday morning, come and we'll give you some basics and stuff, and you can begin coaching. And so I said, fine, okay, I'll do it. So sign up for it. Guess how much soccer I knew whenever I walked on to that first training thing? Nothing. Okay? But guess what they did? They had people there that knew soccer. And guess what they did? They taught us some drills. They had this little booklet that they gave us. It had some drills and things you do with your kids and plays to run and practices and kind of sketch out. And I thought, I could do that because they're five, right? And so I'm working with these five-year-olds, and I'm realizing I don't know a whole lot. So Hannah was signed up for soccer, and she had really good coaches. I mean, they were a couple. They were fantastic. And so I would take Hannah to her practices, and I'm smart enough to know they know more than I do. So I would go to practice, and I would sit and watch Hannah's practices, and I'm writing down everything those coaches are doing. And guess what we did at our next practice? Everything those coaches did. Because what was the desire? I wanted my team to do well. And for them to do well, what were they going to need? 
a decent coach, right? They didn't have one, right? And so I need to become equipped. And so what did I do? Well, there's a level full of goodness because I'm willing to help these kids. Don't have much knowledge, but I need to be filled with all knowledge. And so I start learning some stuff, watching some YouTube videos, watching other practices, filled with knowledge. And what happened? I became competent to coach. Okay? Now, that's a picture of discipleship. Start where you are. That there are people in your life right now that God in his sovereignty has placed next to you for you to help coach. To help coach in a loving and gracious way. Your family, your friends, people that are maybe a new believer. Listen, we have Sunday, we have, I will, do we have five-year-olds that people could teach here? Okay, we have five-year-olds, if you like, I couldn't do that. Or my response to you would be, if it was, let's say it's Dane, Dane, they're five, right? Okay, so do you think you could do something with five-year-olds? Well, I feel inadequate. Well, if we are inadequate, guess what? We become adequate through training and learning, becoming filled with knowledge. This is what discipleship is about, starting where we are, right? I, 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 so get to middle school. The middle school here needs a, high, needs a middle school coach. And um, I'd coach Caleb for a bunch of years. They asked if I'd be willing to coach. Happy to coach him, right? Still didn't know what I needed to know, but continued to learn. And guess what? I learned to be able to coach middle school kids, right? Why? Because I started with five-year-olds. And as you grow and begin where you are, start doing it that God matures you, grows you up, gives you more knowledge, gives you more skill, so you can more successfully coach, counsel, disciple other believers. Well, how do we do this? Well, faithful believers, what do we do? We love others wisely. We do it with grace and truth. Why? So that others know, love, and live for Jesus more and more. This whole idea of coaching, we're loving wisely with grace and truth. We know when to teach. We know when to instruct. We know when to admonish. We know when to warn because we need this wisdom from God. And so what does this mean? This means we love one another with truth. That we're loving with truth. And this Word of God is what we're going to talk to others about. This is our coaching manual. Right? The Bible is our coaching manual. And we're going to love others with truth. Not with our opinions. Not with what the world says or the latest psychologist. We're going to love one another by teaching truth. And encouraging us to live according to it. We need to love others with grace. Right? Okay, so I'm coaching five-year-olds. I don't know anything about soccer, but I know this much more than the five-year-olds I'm coaching. Right? Now, if I'm going to help coach those five-year-olds with grace, whenever they're picking grass in the goal instead of kicking the ball, what am I going to do? Hey, get back on the field. What do you think you're doing? No, is that grace? No. I had this little boy named Christian, and that we're playing a game one day actions all at the other end because at five-year-olds they're all huddled together and Christian's down the other end playing the goal turn around and Christian's nowhere to be found I'm like where did he go and um, he's like three fields down hanging on this goal and we're like get back here okay so what do we do we love Christian with grace right because he's five we understand he doesn't have it all figured out but also with truth where does he need to be on our field guarding our goal okay when we disciple and coach others, we do it with grace and truth. We also do it with wisdom. With wisdom. And listen, what, one of the things wisdom means 
hear me correctly here, that we don't treat everyone the same. What I mean by that is, listen to what 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, that's the nuthateo, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You see, it takes wisdom to know who to admonish and who to encourage, right? So I'm watching a little soccer player who's just working hard, and he's struggling to get this drill figured out, and he's working along trying to figure that out. I need wisdom. How do I help him? I encourage him. Hey, doing a great job. Keep it up. Maybe try this, right? I have the other five-year-old, maybe it's my son, and he's picking grass, and he knows he needs to be doing this, that there's going to be a response a little differently because a little bit of a gentle admonition, get back in the field, get back on here, and let's play this. Okay? And so we need wisdom to know how to deal with each situation. And we think, well, I don't have that wisdom. What does God's Word tell us? If any of you lacks wisdom, ask. Ask God. He will give it to us. God surrounds us with other people to help us to have wisdom. So if we're going to faithfully coach, disciple, if we're going to faithfully counsel others, we need to love them with truth, with grace, with wisdom, but also with purpose. That means we're going somewhere. I'm coaching a soccer team to score goals and to keep the ball from going in their goal. As we are loving others wisely with grace and truth, we are seeking to mature people in their walk with Jesus. We want to see infants in Christ growing up, adolescents in Christ maturing, that we are continuing to become more and more like Jesus. That is our purpose. And as we consider this whole work of being filled with, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct, to warn to admonish one another, that we would be committed to this. That we would realize that this is a responsibility for every faithful believer. And it's this, listen, the faithful believers aren't a category that are separate like super-Christians. As we shared earlier, if you partake of the Lord's Supper this morning, you're declaring that you're a faithful believer. And you have responsibility for loving others wisely, seeking to help others to grow and change in their relationship with Jesus. And my charge to you this morning is maybe you're convicted by this because you realize that you have fallen way short of this. My charge to you would be to repent. Just say, God, forgive me for not being faithful in this area. And as you repent from that, that you'd turn and that you would say, God, I want to become equipped. And we have opportunities for that. Sunday, we have Sunday school classes, we call our essentials classes, we have Sunday nights where we're working through a lot of the things we do on Sunday mornings, building on that, we have small groups, we have a variety of ways to help you to become equipped. And listen, I would just tell you that being here for an hour on Sunday morning, listening to 30 to 40 minutes of teaching is not sufficient to equip you adequately for the work of the ministry. You need to be in the Word of God with other believers, sharpening your sword, sharpening your skills, and we have other opportunities for that. And so this is an opportunity for us to learn and worship together, but to become equipped takes some extra work. And if we're going to be faithful believers, we need to be involved with that. So I would encourage you, maybe you need to repent, maybe you need to be, commit to being equipped, and maybe you need to commit to being engaged and to say, okay, there are some five-year-olds or teens or somebody that I can serve and 
I don't feel completely adequately equipped, but I know there are people that will help me, and it's time for me to step in and get engaged in the work of the ministry to help disciple others, to help coach others, to help others to grow, to know, love, and live for Jesus. And so this morning, as we conclude, I would ask you two questions this morning. The first is, who are you coaching? Who are you walking alongside of to instruct, warn, and admonish? And maybe you say, well, I don't have a name there. My second question is, who will you begin to coach? Who will you draw near to? Maybe some of those people are already in your life. You're just not doing it. Or maybe it's somebody that you, it's somebody close to you, you have your eye on and think, I'm going to spend some time investing in this individual or these individuals. So the two questions are, who are you coaching? Who are you discipling? Who are you counseling? Or who will you? I encourage you with those two questions this morning to recognize faithful believers. What's our case? We are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, able, competent to counsel, coach, and disciple. Well, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And, but after we pray, we're going to receive our morning offering to be able to give back to the Lord a portion of what he has done for us. And um, as we receive our offering, we're also, we've shared in the emails and stuff that are helping hand offering. We're also going to receive at this same time and that is going to go towards Randy and Randy Fry's oxygen condenser that he needs. Uh, but let us pray, and as we pray, I encourage you, before you start worrying about the offering, as we pray, just think about this message. Am I faithful? Am I filled with knowledge? Am I full of goodness? Am I instructing, warning, admonishing others? And if not, what am I going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us, Lord, you love us in a significant way. Lord, you and your son, the bread that we partook today represented his body, the cup, his blood, and the new covenant that you've established with us. Lord, that we would say that we want to be faithful believers and help us this morning to live that out in very practical ways as we would engage ourselves with others to help them to know, love, and live for Jesus. Maybe for the first time, but maybe more and more. So, Lord, stir our hearts and help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.